Gabriel Denwalt. And I'm Nuria Martinez-Keel. You're listening to The Source. Thanks for joining us as we discuss the Oklahomans' most impactful stories with the reporters who wrote them. The Women's College World Series is underway in Oklahoma City, so we'll take a look back at the past 50 years of collegiate softball under Title IX, and there's no place where the growth of the sport has been more apparent than Hall of Fame Stadium in OKC. Sports columnist Jenny Carlson is here with us today, calling in from Hall of Fame Stadium, uh, where, where they're doing press conferences today. Uh, so we're, we're nearing the 50th anniversary of Title IX, which is the federal law that mandates equal treatment of men and women at public schools and universities. One of the most well-known requirements of Title IX is that schools offer women's sports as well as men's. Jenny, you spoke with legendary UCO softball coach Jerry Pinkston, and she was an athlete in the pre-Title IX era and was a coach when the law passed in 1972. So how did Jerry describe what it was like to be a female athlete when she was young compared to the atmosphere that we see today? Yeah, night and day, really. I mean, Jerry grew up in Chickasha, which obviously people know just south of Oklahoma City. And she grew up in a family where, you know, everybody went outside and played all the time and, and her brothers played sports and um, she played right along with them, all the, th- all the sports that they played. But when it came time for school sports to kick in, there weren't many options for Jerry at the time at Chick- in Chickasha, probably like a lot of schools around Oklahoma. All they had was tennis. Um, you know, Oklahoma as a state's actually one of the few that we, we did play six on six in the high schools for a long time before Uh, We transitioned out of that. So there were some schools that played basketball, but even at that, it was very limited, the number of of offerings for girls to play in high schools and middle schools. And then if you had a coach that knew anything about the sport you were playing, that was just kind of an added bonus. So to be, uh, you know, in Jerry's life, to go from that experience of growing up to now she has season tickets at the Women's College World Series has had them almost as long as the event has been here. And to see the stadium with, you know, 9,000 permanent seats. It'll be a capacity of 12,000 athletes who are among some of the best, you know, in the country on this field playing this sport. I think they that she really can see firsthand just what, what kind of change there's been. Your story points out that even after Title IX became law, the conditions for female athletes, it didn't change overnight. It didn't happen immediately. How did how did Jerry Pinkson illustrate the difference in investment between men and women's sports even after Title IX became law? Yeah, I mean, I think at the at the outset, I think there were probably a decent amount of schools, both you know, big big universities, small colleges, high schools, who were waiting to see. You know, they were kind of wondering what this would look like. And so I think for a while there was fairly slow movement. You know, some some schools uh, didn't even add, you know, hard change, hardly anything. But I think as some started to see some uh, schools get uh, sued for their for their uh, lack of Title IX uh, following, then you started to see some schools step up and say, all right, okay, we need to start adding some sports. But even then, you know, you're talking about, um, you know, Programs sharing coaches, programs sharing uniforms, programs not having facilities, playing in city parks. I mean, there's a lot of programs that are here today, this week in the Women's College World Series, that started as programs playing in city parks, you know, not having a field of their own. 
So the fact that now pretty much all of these programs have massive stadiums, some of them getting newer, massive, more massive stadiums um, coming up, I think just speaks to how that's changed now. I think a lot of athletic departments are investing in women's sports, whereas before you had athletic departments that, you know, were adding them and maybe not providing the finances to really fund them in a way that that made them go. So Hall of Fame Stadium in Oklahoma City was a critical change agent for collegiate softball. Um, and that's what your story focuses on is is kind of the progression of softball in Oklahoma. Um, so can you take us through the history of why that stadium was built and how it became a turning point for the sport? Yeah, it was really a stadium ahead of its time. I mean, obviously, the stadium, as we now know, it has been changed dramatically. I'm talking to you guys from down the first base line and I'm sitting in bleachers that didn't used to be here. This used to be just a grassy hill, which was pretty cool. You know, people brought their their blankets and their their uh, lawn chairs and their kids rolled down the hill during games. So it wasn't that it was bad, but it wasn't what it is now. So the stadium, though, was built um, after uh, a push was made to get the Amateur Softball Association to move to Oklahoma City in the 60s. But then uh, later on, after they'd been here a while, uh, there was communication between uh, the All Sports Association, which is now defunct, but for years was a huge driver of of sports in, in the city, and the ASA, Amateur Softball Association, to build a facility that you could play all sorts of tournaments in. Um, they did not have any promise of hosting the Women's College World Series at that point. It wasn't long after the stadium opened that they put in their first bid to get the, to get the series here. But it was it was more about um, youth tournaments, uh, adult. You know, there's all sorts of, of ASA events um, that they could uh, they could target. But this was kind of still pie in the sky a little bit. Uh, you just you the NCA had only taken over women's sports a few years before the stadium opened. So NCA championships were still kind of a um, you know a small piece of the puzzle, I guess you could say. So it was very visionary to build this stadium quite honestly. And now there's nothing else like it in the United States. Um, you know, I think there's been concern over the years from people in Oklahoma City, well will the will the, will the championship ever move? Right now, the contract goes through 2035, and a lot of that is because Oklahoma City has done a lot to improve the stadium. But in doing so, they have a place that nobody else can rival. I mean, there are, there are some really nice softball stadiums around the country, but there's nothing sports-specific to softball that even comes close to what's here in Oklahoma City. Jenny, can you talk about uh, what else happens at that stadium besides just the World Series? Yeah, you know, obviously during the winter. I mean, o- winter in Oklahoma is pretty pretty rough for bat and ball sports, so not a lot happens here. Uh, you know, it'd be sort of the same as – you know, most baseball facilities, you don't see much happening at, you know, Bricktown Ballpark during the winter time, um, occasional things. But it really heats up as the summer heats up, quite honestly. After the Women's College World Series is here, um, it really becomes wall-to-wall uh, youth events, adult events. There's all sorts of regional tournaments, national tournaments that come here. So as the summer gets going, uh, Big 12 softball tournament is here. Uh, was here a few weeks ago. It's it's kind of the kickoff to the summertime, I guess you could say. But then once the Women's College World Series closes out, you can come out here to Hall of Fame Stadium, you know, almost from now until the end of 
you know, the summer and the school year starts again and you'll find something going on out here. Um, but they've got a great field. Um, they really do just keep it to softball. Um, you know, haven't seen them kind of turn towards anything like concerts or, or uh, movies. I think they did a, I think they did a watch party for the, for the uh, Olympics last uh, time it was held last summer, did a watch party out here on their big screen, but it's really all softball all the time. And uh, it's, it's really a dedicated facility for the sport. And, uh, it definitely once once it gets hot in Oklahoma, it gets hot and heavy out here too. One thing that I noticed from your story, Jenny, was how the fan response is what really prompted um, the greater exposure that came to the Women's College World Series in later years, and just the role that OU or OSU making the Women's College World Series played in that. I was wondering if you could speak to that, just what difference it made when local teams had success, and especially when you see, you know, I think you your story covers how some of the early years of the Women's College, College World Series in OKC, there was, I think, 8,000 fans in attendance yeah. total for the whole event. Yeah. That's not even enough for one game these days. Um, so I'm just yeah. curious kind of how you saw that progression going over the years. Yeah, when the when the series first came here in the early 90s, it was definitely a smaller crowd. Um, they did benefit from the fact that Oklahoma State made the, the Women's College World Series, I believe, four of the first eight years it was in Oklahoma City. So that was good. They They got some fans from the Oklahoma State fan base here. You also had Lisa Fernandez, uh, UCLA superstar. Uh, UCLA was the powerhouse. They're still very good, but they were the power in those days. And people came uh, to see Lisa play. And, you know, those were pre-social media days. And, you know, so you didn't have the buzz of, of some of the athletes now that you see from their Twitter and their Instagram and their TikTok and all that. So she was a star before softball really had stars. So there was some forward momentum with, you know, fans, but then in 2000, Oklahoma makes the women's college world series for the first time in their program's history. They were really not expected to make it. They, they weren't seen as a contender. Um, uh, UCLA was really good. Arizona was really good. But they not only made the series that year, they won all their games, won the championship. And as that team continued to win and go in that that Women's College World Series, you just saw the, the fans grow. The attendance was just on the uptick from, you know, from the beginning. And by the time they played, they played a single championship game. It was actually on Memorial Day. The place was packed. They, you know, they 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 took as many people through the gates, I think, as they they thought they could before the fire marshal started to frown at them. But that was huge. And then Oklahoma returned the next four years, which I think added. And then at the same time, you had a confluence of events. You had Oklahoma making the series, but then you also had Arizona here with a pitcher named Jenny Finch. And Jenny was kind of uh, maybe the first transcendent softball star that we saw. She was well known beyond just the softball world. She was popular. Uh, she did, you know, she did TV shows. Um, she pitched against Major League Baseball players. And so she kind of transcended the sport. And then ESPN made the decision that they were going to start showing all the games. That that happened about the same time. So you had this OU, Jenny Finch, ESPN sort of ball of energy going at the same time. And it really got things going. But I think that, that OU was definitely part of that catalyst. And now we see Oklahoma making regular appearances, winning. Uh, they've won five national championships. Now OSU, they're making their third appearance in a row in the Women's College World Series. So a lot that is going right and trending in a really positive direction for the Women's College World Series. How crucial 
has that TV exposure been, not just for Oklahoma City, but for collegiate softball? This is a sport where the per diem used to be like a dollar per meal per day. The investment was just really lacking. And, and now it seems like things have grown so much. I know TV exposure has been really critical and at least growing the the general knowledge and, and understanding of the sport. Yeah. The TV exposure has been, has been huge. I mean, I think, um, I think what it's helped do is take the game of softball into more living rooms of, you know, more little girls to say, you know, could I do that? Could I play in that environment? Could I, you know, have that as my, you know, my goal. And so I think you see that, you know, we've seen softball, explode into really all areas of the country. Um, you know, for a long time, it was really a West Coast phenomenon. I mentioned before UCLA and Arizona, and they were the powers because basically, you know, the softball recruits that came out, uh, you know, into the college scene were basically coming out of California and Arizona, the, the, the warm weather states. Now you see, I mean, here, here this week, we've got Northwestern here with a, you know, a roster dominated by women from you know, the upper Midwest from the Michigan, Illinois, Indiana uh, part of the world. You've obviously got Oklahoma and Oklahoma State. Um, and then there's been a huge growth in the SEC. And I think the SEC and the ACC, which are obviously more Southern uh, based conferences, they have really taken softball to the next level. I mean, they're funding facilities and coaches and um, just all sorts of things at a level that um, is almost unseen anywhere else. And so we've seen the growth of programs in those conferences, um, the SEC, uh, you know, winning championships already, but having regular, you know, appearances by teams in the Women's College World Series, the ACC is now starting to make the same level of noise. So I think you're seeing, yeah, that, that TV shows everyone everywhere what it looks like and what it could be. And then I think that, you know, I think in a lot of these places, colleges, they see that fans will come. And so the chance to have a women's sport that is drawing people in and, you know, numbers that, you know, your program, your softball program may not break even, but you're going to make some money on people coming through the gates. I think colleges like that, you know, they like being able to offset that bottom line a little bit. Um, there probably will come a day when you see a softball program become revenue neutral and they, they make more than they spend. I think Oklahoma building a new, uh, softball stadium in the next couple of years with the capacity that they're talking about, they've got a chance to be a team, a program that, that makes more than they spend. And the, they're going to do that through the tickets. So I, I do think that the TV has been big to really put in people's minds what's possible with this sport. Yeah. Which for those who have never looked at college sports revenue, for a women's sport to be revenue neutral, to break even, very few programs do that. Even few men's programs do that. On college campuses, you rarely have anybody other than your football program and your men's basketball program that, that break even. And lots of times, unless you're one of the like Kentuckys or Kansas or Dukes of the men's basketball world, you're not breaking even by that much. So the idea that a women's sport could potentially do that, I mean, like, UConn women's basketball. I mean, I, they might be, you know, one of, you know, you could count the number of programs on your, on one hand sort of thing. So um, yeah, for OU to be thinking in those terms, I think speaks to just what they're sensing in the, 
interest and passion that's out there among the fan base. And Oklahoma State's looking to build a new stadium, too. They're not as far along in their planning. But that's going to be interesting to see as well. What sort of fan, uh, you know, fervor could they create in Stillwater? It's looked pretty good to this point. Can they continue to build on that? And how big could it get? Today, the Hall of Fame Stadium, where you're at, has over 9,000 permanent seats. Uh, average attendance is uh, at the last year's Women's College World Series it was more than uh, 11,500 people. Now, I'd like to uh, for you to go back um, and and look at this through Jerry Pinkston's eyes, um, the the person you profiled in your story. What does she think about the state of college football today, and how much it's changed uh, since she played? Yeah, I mean, unbelievable. I mean, it, it's almost a, it's almost a, you know a, a different world. Like she stepped onto you know the planet Mars and, and to watch college softball today compared to what it was when she played. And when she coached, she coached for a long time at UCO. And as I mentioned, there's a lot of programs that started playing in city parks, and that was definitely the case at UCO. Um, when they started the program there, they were playing in a city park in Edmond. And then they moved on to campus, but they still didn't really have a field. It was more kind of a, a rec field uh, that I, I guess would be used maybe for, you know, intramurals or something like that. So Jerry, uh, because there was no other option, she carried all of the team gear in her trunk. And she did it for years. We're talking pitching machine field drag, helmets, bats, balls. I mean, anything that didn't go home with the players was in the trunk of her car for years and years and years. So the idea that, you know, she comes to the Women's College World Series, she'll be here on Thursday for the opening day. She's always here. And to, to see teams that, you know, no, no coach is carrying gear around in their trunk. You know, they've got a staff of assistant coaches, of strength coaches, trainers, um, nutritionists. They've got uniforms for, you know, they could change uniforms every inning and not run out. Um, those are, you know, just lavish, uh, almost unbelievable, you know, lavishness that Jerry wouldn't have even dreamed of when she was coaching softball or playing at Oklahoma State. She she was actually at Oklahoma State before they started intercollegiate athletics at Oklahoma State. She she did find multiple sports to play there and played every one of them. There were seven sports available to women when she was an undergrad, and she said she played all of them. So, um, you know, just the opportunity to play, she embraced it. But yeah, just the just the level of support and you know prosperity, I guess that the sport now has happening. I mean, it, it it's how it should be if you look and see what baseball teams have, or you look and see what, you know, the top, uh, you know, men's program has on a campus. If you say OU's softball team or OSU softball team is the best women's program on each campus, which it's debatable at OU, they've got a women's gymnastics team that's really good. But if you say both of those teams are the best, well, shouldn't they have things similar to the football team when it comes to, you know, their, the, 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 the people that are on staff to provide services to them, uh, you know, whether it's physical, mental, psychological, nutritional, um, all those things should be at their disposal in the same way that they are for football. So I think that's that's such a sea change that, you know, you start to really think about, yes, it seems it seems almost another world for people like Jerry Pinkston. But when you think about it in terms of equality and Title IX and things need to be the same for men and women, 
it doesn't seem that crazy because what do the football teams at those schools get? They have the training table. They have, you know, an assistant for every position. They have, uh, you know, more strength and conditioning coaches than than they probably met in a month up there. So it's just I think it, it does speak to starting to work towards equality. I don't think we're there yet. But I do think there's a lot of great momentum, and you can see it again. You can see it nowhere better than in college softball and the women's golf series. Well, Jenny, one last question here for you. Uh, Oklahoma City has a long-term deal with the NCAA to keep the women's college World Series at Hall of Fame Stadium through 2035. But the NCAA has said it would pull events out of states that pass laws restricting transgender students' participation in sports. A lot of people wondered whether this would impact Oklahoma hosting the Women's College World Series when uh, Governor Kevin Stitt signed a bill this year that banned transgender girls from women's athletics in high school and college. So is there any risk or discussion here at all of OKC maybe losing the Women's College World Series over this? I think it remains to be seen. My, my feeling is that the NCAA may have backed off of that a little bit. Um, we saw last year, last spring, uh, the NCAA doesn't announce regionals or super regionals for softball and baseball until later on in the season. There were a couple southern states that had passed similar legislation. It may not have gone into effect at the time, but they had passed it and they still were awarded regionals and super regionals. So I don't know. I think the answer is it remains to be seen. Um, there's definitely, uh, you know, they, they've made that statement. They want to be an inclusive organization. And so the question becomes, if you've got an athlete who is on a team and on that team legally through NCAA regulations and their team makes the Women's College World Series, what's the situation? I don't know the answer to that. And I don't I don't know that I don't know that that situation will happen, but we don't know that it won't. So I think that it's a little bit of guesswork. I think what I said earlier about Hall of Fame Stadium being unlike any other softball specific stadium in the country gives it some leverage and some leeway in that. But it is a question mark. And I don't really know that we have a good answer yet. And the NCAA can break those um, they can break those uh, contracts. They've done it before with other events. They've moved events. They've changed them. So it's not that it wouldn't ever happen, but it it seems a little less likely. Gotcha. Well, Jenny, thank you so much for making time for us in, in your busy schedule this week. And to our listeners, thank you for joining us. This podcast is possible because of the Oklahoman subscribers. We encourage you to subscribe if you can. You can read these stories and more every day in the Oklahoman and at oklahoman.com. Check back next Friday for a new episode.